Sure, the Music Explorers podcast. I'm Elaine. I am Scoot Magoo. And hey, Scott. Yeah. Do I hear 21? 21? 21? I hear 21. 21. 21. I'm a farmer in the city. Uh,. <laughs> God, I, 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 I was, I was gonna see how long I could get away with that. But. I just, I, I appreciate the, the deficit and like the emotional weight of how he sings well, it and how you were, you were portraying I, it. I, I, I'm trying to do my William Shatner impression. Oh my gosh! I, I, I guess it's a bad William Shatner impression because I guess really good. Do I hear? Twenty one. Twenty one. Could you imagine oh if, like... I would love that. In, in, in the same year we get Danzig Sings Elvis, we get uh, William Shatner Sings Scott Walker. I I would pay money. I would I would go out and support that album. Because <laughs> it deserves it. Oh, uh, just, my gosh. If, if only... If, if, if only for just, just to be able to fall asleep at night listening to that voice. You know, and like, like, just think about some of the so like Scott Walker lyrics too, like just like peepee so trousers or whatever. Or uh, I'm trying to think of some of the ones off of um, off of Drift. Oh, um, my favorite it, one is off Bish Bosh. It's uh, if if shit were music, you'd be a brass uh, band. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I was thinking of like uh, what I think it's Cossacks are. Uh, you know, um, what is it? Sharpen, sharpen the fork and stick the fork in. <laughs> yeah. That's her. Po- polish the fork and stick the fork in. Yeah, <laughs> he's done. For- so, okay, I I am. We are getting already way out of line, uh, and we haven't even started swearing yet. That's so, okay. Yeah, um, we are talking about four albums today that all have uh, specific anniversaries, and uh, we are just going to go right in order because in alphabetic order because. That's just the way we do things. We're just that stuck up. So, uh, or at least I am. So, <laughs> uh, let's start first one. Uh, is Deftones, Diamond Eyes, which turns 10 this month, which is, you know, I always say this, but it's still weird to think about. No, it, it, really, it really is, because I, because, I remember, yeah. like, we're starting to get to that point where... I mean, I, I, I was in high school when this thing got out. Like, yeah. I, I, was, I was well aware of this album when it came out, which is, like, a first for me in this album anniversary series. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was gonna say. Is that it's it's weird that album that album yeah album jeez it's a long day albums that album I, that come out album that came out why say many word when few word do um, <laughs> but um, yeah albums like I grew up with or were were part of my development in a significant way or even albums that I was generally aware of you know with that came out when I was growing up. Um, the fact that they're getting into the tens and before we know it, it'll be like 15, 20. Um, it's, it's, it's really weird. And I haven't really followed Deftones that much since the release of Diamond Eyes, but this really turned me on to their music. It helped me get into their back catalog. It's, it's still my favorite. Uh, I'm not sure where, I know you're, you're a much bigger fan than, than I am, Elaine, but uh, I, I guess I'll let you take it away. Give a, a quick overview of, of the boys of the the boys of the of the Deftones. Yeah, the, the tones. For, for some reason, I, I I've been really into like 
pronouncing things wrong or just but, but putting accents on the wrong places it, it's just it, it just makes it really funny to me um like instead of flintstones the the flintstones <laughs> you know just just things like that um so deftones diamond eyes um it's it's an interesting you know sort of piece of the band's catalog mm-hmm. just because it, it came off the heels of not only probably their most polarizing album which was saturn night wrist uh but i mean it also came off the heels of, of chi chang you know mm-hmm. like this is their first album without chi chang on bass i think yeah. they had sergio vega from quicksand on bass instead yeah. and he ended up becoming a permanent member uh after chi chang passed away or i think before then but um anyway so it, it was just it, it's an odd time i think it could have been one of the biggest gaps in their studio album career, if I remember right. Because they had to pivot. They they were writing Eros. It's um, 2000s. Yes. So, like, Saturday Night Rest was 2006. Diamond Eyes was 2010. And you were right. I totally forgot about Eros. That uh, this, yeah, they, they had recorded. And it's still, you know, like, it's I guess it's totally finished. But they, they just haven't released it. Uh, I mean, I got, you know, it was it was such, such a weird, you know, kind of tragic time, and I believe did, didn't Chi Chang? He he succumbed to his his injuries eventually, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So twenty thirteen. Yeah, I feel I feel like part of them. I mean, there's just so so much baggage tied up in the album that I'm not really um, I'm not really surprised they. I mean, at some point, I imagine it'll be released, but. Um, See, I, I I don't know because with like they there are some groups that you can be like okay like you know you can kind of have a good prediction, but it's always been tough with Deftones, like because yeah. like I always I thought that they would have put out their new album like last year, uh-huh. but they did not, um, which was you know really strange and sort of like I, they've always just been a a peculiar band in just sort of the way they present themselves and sort of the you know the music that they play even like like they, they don't do anything normally and i i guess that that's what really attracted me to them in the first place um though it, it took me a little while to really like get into them um because like i i specifically remember buying around the fur and like listening to it and be like yeah this is okay and then i would like listen to it again and again and then i'd be like oh my god (laughs) um but we're talking about diamond eyes so this is their sixth album you know so the trajectory of sort of where they were going so saturday night wrist was sort of incorporating more of these outside influences outside influences even more than usual um you know white pony was kind of like the birth of that you know you had like uh digital bath which was almost more of like a uh like a trip hop song in a way or like a screenager you know that had i think i think it's screenager no screenager is a muse song uh teenager i think it's just called um <laughs> yeah i'm a noob <laughs> i listen to muse i'm a total noob guys uh, <laughs> but i was gonna say um yeah so like like they've always flirted around with you know sort of incorporating other styles into their music and Saturday Night Wrist definitely kind of took that to a new level by having like there are some songs that were just you know kind of like their slowest and their most moody like uh the track Xerxes off of Saturday Night Wrist is probably the biggest example I can think of of just like this really just sad song in a way but it like the entire album has like this gauzy kind of dreamy feel to it as well um 
you know, it, it's kind of weird. Like this was, so Diamond Eyes was kind of like a mix between that experimentation, but then also kind of the heaviness that they introduced on their self-titled album. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, really the heaviness from, you know, their early career too. Not to say that, you know, White Pony uh, or Saturday Night Wrist are, are, you know, exactly light albums, but I think it's like the way they play around with it. Because I think, you know, like with, with something like White Pony, like, you know, Chino starts playing uh, guitar on that, but he plays a six string. Um, but with Diamond Eyes, I think we have uh, Stephen Carpenter playing an eight string. Yep. If, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get this really, really deep, almost like, it was almost genty, like before gent yeah. was like really a thing. It really took off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, it had like this really pummeling sound to it, and uh, but then you know combined with all these, you know, sort of shoegazy, dream poppy influences. So you have tracks like Beauty School and Sex Tape that are just like some of Deftones' most beautiful material up until that point. Oh yeah, Sex um, Tape. I, I, I love that's such yeah. a great song. Yeah, the, in the music video with the lesbian mermaids. Yes. Yes. Uh, which I, I, I that's just the only thing I think of when I think of that song now. <laughs> lesbian um, mermaids. Yeah, love it. <laughs> just like, yep, lesbian mermaids. I mean, somebody had to do it, and Deftones just did it. And yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, th- this was. I mean, it's like we, this came out when we were in high school, um, and like I was just getting into Deftones when this came out, pretty much. Um, you know, so I was really like, I, I, I think I bought it on itunes um at one point or I, like i i knew a lot of it um and just that album cover too just the barn owl oh yeah it's just really striking um like the, the, there's something really i guess i guess maybe just because of the way it hit like the time it hit us but for me it's, it has this really iconic sort of stature to it because i think partially because of the album cover partially because of the tracks in it but also because of um i think they went on the Black Diamond Sky Tour. Yeah, they did. With, uh, yeah, with Alice in Chains and Mastodon. And Mastodon, yeah, which is a tour I would have really liked to see because I was heavily into all three of those bands in high school. Um, so, you know, it would have been would have been cool, but I did not see those. But let, let's just talk about the album itself because the, there, there's a lot of stuff I sort of, you know, think about when I was listening to this again this week. Um, you know, I, I actually kind of wrote down some of my favorite moments in this because I've just I, I've listened to this album so many times now that there are just certain parts that I've just like always pinpoint as like things that really get to me. Like, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I want to open up to you first. Uh, if you have anything you want to sort of toss in here, I also did not put on uh, a timer, uh, so <laughs> you know. I, I guess this is just uh, we're we're gonna do as long as this thing goes. So yeah, and yeah. I I forget if I think this might have been the first album I listened to. Uh, I might have kind of entered entered their discography more broadly, put on on shuffle when I used to do that. I forget what my exact entry point was, but this definitely was what made them pop for me. And part of it was was me just because I I liked. The guitar tone a lot you know i was i was you know first discovering mashuga and i think the ver- you, you were like neck deep in death guard too, yeah and so. it was like the very very early um 
days of, of Gen. Before Gen was like really what it was, there were maybe a handful of bands around this time doing kind of aping Meshuggah in that way. Um, but also, you're totally right. I love the dynamics on this. You know, I mean, mm. even just the, the title track, the way that you have that um, you know intense, heavy guitar riff, but then yeah, the chorus but... is so beautiful. It's just it, yeah. it's just such a nice. Um, spacious chorus. I, I feel like this really is a nice marriage. And again, I haven't listened to their past albums as much as Diamond Eyes. It's by far my, my favorite. But I feel like you get both sides of, of Deftones really nicely blended on this album. You get a lot of songs that have the the heaviness turned up quite a bit, You know, partially because of the eight strings, but partially because um, Carpenter finally got his way. Uh, the it, it's it's a, Carpenter's always had his way. It's it's only until recently. It, it's that, my that, that it's been debated. It's my favorite part of Deftones music is that he openly critiques the band's music as if he isn't their guitar like primary guitarist and one of the I, main songwriters. So I, I again I, I'm not totally informed of the situation, but if I remember correctly, he was talking about uh, Gore and specifically that his he felt his contributions were lacking in that um so i i don't know if it's totally fair but he, he's he's always been kind of funny about talking about his own contributions to the band like he he's convinced that he can't play guitar sometimes even though like 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 it's you know deftones riffs are often pretty simple but they're really powerful but like you know do, just because you aren't steve Vai doesn't mean that you're a bad guitarist Oh yeah, no. I I think yeah. he's a, especially for the style. I think he's a great guitarist. But, yeah. Uh, it just I think it might have been on another album too. It definitely was Gore. It was just the way he he framed it was great, as if he was like criti- he was an yeah outs- yeah an outside. It, it was and, a little bizarre. Yeah, but I mean, on this album, uh, you know, you mentioned sex tape. I, I love love that song. Um, I mean, the heavy I, the, the melodic moments really stand out because I'll be honest, I'm a sucker for melody, but the. The heavy moments are great too. Uh, I believe yeah. it's. I always get the um, the names mi- mixed up, but I think it's you've seen the butcher. It might be command control, where it's like I can't tell. How's this shit not your fault? Like just something yeah. about I, how. I, oh, I I think that's um, that could be royal. I, I'm trying to remember because I command control has like that um that piercing scream at the end. Which is like one one of my favorite moments on the entire record. Just like Chino just going all out with like his famous like inhale screams. Yeah, and that's another thing I love about this album is I feel like Chino really does a wide breadth of. I mean, he does it on every album, but I, I yeah. love how he do, you know he does the screams. He does more very tender, delicate vocals. He has more powerful, um, you know, anthemic performances. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. What are some of your favorite tracks? So, I I mean I I really like I like them all in yeah, different ways. Here. Rocket Skates is probably my least favorite actually out of all of them though. Um, for some reason it just doesn't it, it doesn't like work with me as well as it used to. But uh, probably my favorite tracks if I had to pick one probably Diamond Eyes, Command Control, Beauty School, Prince. Um. And, like, kind of, like, it's weird, but, like, I sort of count, like, the last three tracks as, like, kind of one for some reason. Like, they all kind of merge into each other whenever I listen to them. Um, like, it, it it almost reminds me of, like, um, uh, 
like the suite at at the end of Abbey Road, in a, in a way, just just in that like even though I, I I don't think that they intended that at all, but just like those three tracks, Risk, Nine Seven Six Evil, and This Place Is Death, just kind of all have a very similar mood to them, mm-hmm. and so it it feels like they they kind of just like blend and like blur together for me, mm-hmm. um, so those were cool but i my favorite moments because i i there are specific moments in songs that i really like in, in this album is which is really strange um but like i i said um his uh chino's ending screams in uh oh is it, it was in royal i think it was in the end of royal that like uh it was just like amazing just to hear that like i it still blows me away whenever i hear it um then uh, the second verse of Beauty School, where uh, Chino does like that, he, they put his vocals under like a phone uh, notch EQ effect. Uh, like, you know, take the phone in your room, stop the tape, then resume. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's the line. Um, again, like I've listened to this thing so many times, I just like, I know a lot of the lyrics from it. Just yeah. Um, the, the guitar riff in Prince, I don't know if you remember, but it has like this really dissonant chord that he, that, that Carpenter just just shoots out, and I really liked how that worked, like how it works with the track, uh, because it's just it, it, it's it's kind of like the purest encapsulation of like sort of what makes Deftones Deftones of like sort of the melding of that beauty with like that jaggedness, mm-hmm. um, and then just Abe Cunningham in general. I I think he is just such a great drummer. Oh, he's and, amazing. Yeah, yeah, it, it, he's just very like I I, I love how explosive he is but he's never like one to he's not too flashy but he's not you know just doing a straight beat like he's always doing something really interesting yeah but it never takes away from the entire song oh absolutely Um, it's kind of like a weird like subtle explosiveness because yeah it it fits what everyone else is doing so well but you're right when you pay attention to it you're like he's really good like this is really interesting like really really creative he reminds me of um, to, to go back he, to the, he reminds me of Brendan Canty from Fugazi, but and it kind um, of, in a way, um, almost a more subdued version of of Brand Daler from Mastodon. It just yeah, I can it, see in, that. in the sense of like if you just isolate his drumming, you're like, holy shit, this is this guy's crazy. He's going yeah. off, but like I, it just I, I, somehow I, fits their music so well. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I don't think he does. I don't think he uses the toms as heavily as Brandon sure. does. Yeah, but, I, I, you know, I, I, I can definitely see what you mean, though. Yeah, I think it was more like the the concept how how they fit into their respective bands' music. Like, yeah, obviously, Brand Brand is so much zany, you know, so much more um, Phil heavy and Tom heavy, like you said. But especially yeah. like like when you compare it to, um, I guess alternative metal, new metal, that that kind of yeah. sphere that Deftones is lumped into. Most drummers are very much just like like the Ringo star of the metal world. Yeah, just like well, e- yeah. either that or or they're just clown and they're just like, hey, let's play beer kegs. <laughs> oh my so. gosh, it, it's it's. Can you imagine that being your job, just like periodically hitting random objects and you're like, yep, think, well, I'm in a band. What amazes me even more is that like it's not like he was just like some you know random member. It's it, it's not like he was like like I always think of like the uh, the DJ in Incubus sometimes. <laughs> of just like like man, what does he do most of the time? He like periodically like just oh shit, it's my turn, and he just like yeah, w- wiki like, wiki. But, he's like all right, there you go. But see, like like there, there's <laughs> that, but the but like 
the thing is, like, Sean Crayon, like, started the fucking band. I know, I know. <laughs> so it's, it's just, it's like, really... it, it just amazes me sometimes. Um, yeah, so I, I think uh, I pretty much don't have much more to say, but I do want to just note how much of a, sort of a second breath this album was for their career at this point. It really was, yeah. Yeah, but, like, it really created just, like, a new era for them of, like, popularity. Um, it was really interesting just to see how... You know, it, it's it's like I think they're still riding the wave from Diamond Eyes ten years later. Yeah. Because like like now like people are really excited for their new album. Yeah. Uh, which is funny because I I've gotten progressively less interested in the band <laughs> since Diamond Eyes. Um, and I mean, I, obviously you you're just kind of just totally off right now, <laughs> right? Yeah, I didn't. I think I listened to was it Gore that came out or was it Koino no, Yokan? So that it, came it was Koino Yokan and yeah. then Gore. I think I yeah. listened to it and I just I wasn't in the right headspace and then just never. I think you know tomorrow I think I'm gonna dive more into the discography because I don't think I disliked it. I just think I was I was expecting another Diamond Eyes and, and I guess my last yeah. note uh, one is that yeah I've listened to this album so many times. There are some albums that just it's hard to talk about them just because of how much at least for me like when I put this on I w- I just was singing along to songs that I didn't even know I remember the lyrics to like it just mm. was so. Like, there's so many moments where I was like, oh, fuck, like, this is so good. Um, but yeah, I think you're, you're totally right. And just speaking from the metal world, um, their previous albums were, were covered. And, and, you know, I think on, like, when you do Best of the Decades, a few of their albums have been included here and there by different lists. But I think it was that extra heaviness that really, at least from the in the metal sphere, people really were like, oh, shit, like, these guys are, these guys are for real. These guys are really <laughs> back. So I, I think that might be partially why this helps kind of kickstart yeah. their career. We, you're totally right. It's, it's funny how, um, I, I think another good example is um, Cal Decapitation with, with Monolith, Monolith of Inhumanity, a band that's yeah. been up around for so long. Now suddenly they're like, like everyone's like, oh, you know, elder statesmen of the genre. It's like, yeah, they were kind of like a niche gore grind band for a long time. And yeah. now after this one album, it's like, oh yeah, like they've always been a big deal. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of like... Um, I mean, I, I, I don't like making the comparison, but I mean, this is this is kind of like Deftones' version of uh, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, kind of that it it was like a sea change for them, in a sense that just like people were like people once again paid attention, really. So um, I could see that, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I I don't really want to go into a whole thing about Kanye, so I think we should just leave it at that. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's that's a fair that's a yeah. fair approach. So let's move on to our next one. Um, so this is a uh, Frizzle Fry from Primus. This is Primus's debut album. So technically, uh, I did. So I I, I got these um, like month releases from Rate Your Music, which not all of them are accurate. Uh, apparently, Frizzle Fry was uh, came out in February, and I was considering not talking about it, but I'm like. I love this fucking album yeah. too much to not talk about it. We're, we're both really big Primus fans, or at least of like the first three albums. Um, I, I I love all their up until I think their more recent material they've they've faltered a little I, bit. I've just never listened beyond the first three because like I, I just like I I always feel like I can go to one of those at, at any time and just enjoy the fuck out of it. Like, yeah. the, the, like there, there's little need for like, like you, you know, how like sometimes you kind of you're excited about a new album because it's kind of like, you know, you get more music in that space. 
Mm-hmm. I guess like for me, it's like I I I don't mind just listening to these three albums, but we're, we're specifically talking about Frizzle Fry, um, which, yeah. <laughs> Where do you even fucking start with this thing? This is one of the few albums that I have bought. Like, I bought this thing mm, probably a decade ago now. Uh, and I have never once thought about selling it. Like, I, it is, like, one of the few albums that I would refuse to part with. Because I just love it that much. Oh, it's it, it's awesome. Yeah. It's, um, my dad didn't own Frizzle Fry, but he owned uh, Pork Soda and the Brown Album. And okay, yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, like, my name is Mud. Like, my name is Mud. But then, yeah. you know, uh, Selling the Seas of Cheese, there were so many, you know, Jerry was a race car driver, Tom, Tommy the Cat. T- Tommy was, the Cat. Had so many video games. But then, it's, you know, Fizzle Fry, you have um, um, John the Fisherman was in one of Too the... Many puppies. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, did, did John the Fisherman was in Guitar Hero 2. Yeah, I was going to say, it was in one of those, like... So they, they've become... And I, I maintain that they are probably the weirdest band, like to become as popular as they i mean i don't know how exactly how to phrase it but like it is so weird that they got as popular as they did because they're just especially the deeper you go into their discography you're like there's some oh, yeah. really like you know, obviously they have a fun weird side but they have a really dark like so some of the oh yeah like off of um uh yeah i i know what you're talking about um off of pork soda there's a bob i think it's the yeah, track yeah, bob. bob bob is really dark and then it's, it's some of the um uh, I mean, too many puppies is is just. It, a, yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's condemnation of the Gulf War. I think. Yeah, but it, it's, right? it's also just. Uh, I mean, I guess switching from the, the dark lyrics, it's just like it. <laughs> that I, I like. I totally get why the. I mean, the groove on that song is so like awesome. But then, like, imagine being back in 1990, and you're like, "Holy shit, this is awesome!" And then you just hear fucking Les Claypool go. Too many puppies. It's just being like, shot in the dark. And yeah. it's like, wait a second, what? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Well, here's the thing is like, if you can get through to defy the laws of tradition in the opening track, like that's like, I, I could see that. But then you immediately go to Groundhog's Day, which is just like fucking bizarre. Like if you read into the lyrics of it and things like that, like it's actually kind of a dark song, mm-hmm. but just like the way Les Claypool delivers it, I mean, I, to be fair, Les Claypool's delivery is always bizarre, but, like, he has this way of doing it in, in Groundhog's Day that I'm just, like, it's just, like, such a weird way to, like, you know, start this album, in a sense. Um, and I, I love it. Like, oh, uh, I think too, too Many Puppies, I think, was, like, the track that really got me into this album initially. That and John the Fisherman, obviously. But, um... <clears throat> excuse me, uh, but... Nowadays, I really love uh, the toys go winding down. Like mm-hmm. that, that's probably my favorite track actually off of uh, this album. Uh, there's just something about it. Like I just love like the energy in it. But then there's also this line that Les Claypool says about like he's talking about his friend and how they watch The Evil Dead all the time. And I'm just like, yeah, I can understand that. Like that, that's a fun ass <laughs> movie to watch. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So oh, and just putting time. Pudding time, children. <laughs> so the, the, that's that's probably my favorite thing about this album. I, 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 sorry, I'll, I'll let you go to this. I could just I like I actually wrote down just a couple of like primus lines because like just some of the lyrics here are so great. You know, just they call me Mister Know It All. I am so eloquent. 
perfection is my middle name and whatever rhymes with eloquent. <laughs> yeah, actually, it was funny. I was just about to quote that because, yeah, yeah. that's one of my favorite moments because it's not just... Like, obviously, he's a really unique, weird voice, but he, the way he says things is so funny and quirky. Like, like I mean, yeah. you, you have to listen to it to hear the way he says that last line, whatever rhymes with eloquent. Like, he, he says it like he knows, you know, he's in on the joke, and he, it's almost, he gives off the impression that he's just making up the lyrics on the fly. Yeah. he's like, oh, shit, I couldn't think of anything, but whatever. I think th- that's kind of the cool thing is, like, you, you know, you, you kind of look at Primus's imagery and sort of the way they present themselves, and you're like, oh, these people are a fucking joke. But then you hear Les Claypool play, and you hear, like, Larry Lalonde play, you know, and you hear Tim Alexander just going away on those drums, and you're like, holy fucking shit, man. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, this totally, totally, from the outside, if you've never listened to them, you're like, wow, this is a gimmick band. Like, this is a joke band. Yeah. But they can play. And I think... Um, Obviously, Claypool gets a lot of the credit. I mean, it, it's not a huge surprise. His bass playing is is phenomenal. It's so unique for rock music. But I think the Lalonde, yeah, the Lalonde deserves a lot of attention. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is that it's it's amazing how if you actually listen to it, they really all blend. Like they all contribute a lot to each track. Yeah, and, uh, it's so unique to have. A bass and guitar prominent. This usually you have you know you have the bass line, the drums underneath the guitar solo. He has some amazing solos throughout this album. Yeah. Um, but you have Claypool's just such such an amazing bass line in every song that you it almost might be too busy if it, if it didn't work so well. The fact that you're like, man, this solo is great, but also like, holy shit, that bass line's awesome. And then like you said, you know the the drums are perfect throughout as well. It's just yeah, I. I... I, I've always loved the way Lalonde, like, is sort of written into this album. Yeah. Um, just because, like, you know, he, you know, he's able to take a solo at a really nice time that works really well. But at the same time, when it's just, like, a regular riff, like, when the song's being played, um, you know, he has this way of inhabiting sort of the the empty parts of the track in a way that, like, really fills out the track in a really cool way. And it's just sort of cool to see that inversion of, you know, guitar and bass. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and that's something they continue throughout their uh, throughout their whole career. I mean, yeah, I, it, I think... In different ways, though. Um, yeah, and, and, and this is a great place to start, I think, because um, it really is just Primus at... Well, I mean, I think either this or Sailing the Seas of Cheese... Uh, but Sailing the Seas of Cheese is good, but there are some... I think there are even more bizarre moments... I, in that, like, um, Granddad's little ditty is is just fucking weird. I mean, it's it's yeah. only like thirty seconds, but it it's it's such a it's just like, I think it's just Les Claypool singing in the shower, but they pitch shift his voice. Yeah, um, um, and, and I I feel like, yeah, I, I guess I would say Frizzle Fry is really the most you know quintessential like Primus at their their basic because from yeah. there. Like I think Tales from the Punch Bowl and um, I think Brown Album is probably their weakest album, but especially. Well, I, what about their later albums? Because like, don't people like really don't like uh, like uh, what the the Chocolate Factory album? Yeah, I would did? I would say from their original um, material, Brown Album might be the weakest. I think Anti Pop is easily the, the most underrated. They have some amazing, um, like I think it's Nat either electric uncle sam or natural joe like the uh 
the the riff on that is amazing. But yeah, I, I think the problem with uh, the problem with late era Primus and, and it, Fantano did a why you know review about desaturating seven that kind of summed up you know what happened is that it sounds like Primus except all of the the whimsical energy is just like gone like it just it really for some reason they just can't tap into that anymore and mm. it, it kind of speaks to the strength of albums like Fizzle Fry the fact that they were just so willing to just be weird just paint outside the lines and and just really um really do whatever they wanted and that they never really had an overarching concept which they kind of fell into that later in their career they at a time where metal was well, i guess metal always kind of take is always taking itself seriously but they just wanted to have fun and they could back it up too because you know yeah. like you said earlier it, there are plenty of bands who are you know i guess joke bands or are almost too too loose with their um with what they're trying to do and it just doesn't really work out but primus was able to back it up with some of my favorite instrument instrumentation of you know 90s metal or, or funk metal alternative metal whatever you want to call it yeah i so i think just two things i want to talk about before we move on from this because uh i think one is just uh, and I didn't know this until I had read their Wikipedia entry uh, earlier this week, but um, apparently, like they like uh, Claypool was really like heavily influenced by the Residents, and apparently, like his vocal style is heavily like lifted from the Residents. Oh, interesting. Uh, which is really funny because I would just never think that. And I mean, to be fair, I've not really listened to a ton of the Residents. They they're one of those groups that I've just like had a, a like a very difficult time getting into um for obvious reasons because <laughs> like if, if you think primus is weird like the residents are on like a whole other level of just yeah. bizarre yeah um <laughs> yeah so th- there's that but um i just i keep I always whenever i think about primus um one of my roommates was always like hated primus and he was like, I asked him why, and he's like, well, you know, like, like they, they, they think they're so funny, and like, you know, like, they, they, they're being just like LOL random, and stuff like that, and I'm like, I get that, but like, at the same time, you like butthole surfers, and they do pretty much the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, we, we've talked offline about wanting to discuss comedy and music, and, you know, yeah. both, both actual musicians, well, I shouldn't say actual, but both like real bands, I don't know if that's much better. Bands, because <laughs> I don't want to shit on like comedic artists. What I'm saying is that you know, bands you wouldn't expect to be funny being funny, and also acts like Tenacious D trying to be funny. It's a really fine line, you know. Stuff yeah. stuff that other people think is hilarious, you're like, eh. Like for for example, I I really really I've never been a big fan of Beavis and Butthead. I really really don't like them. I, yeah. like, I don't I don't find it funny. Some people think they're fucking hilarious. Same thing with me. I I love Family I, Guy. I think that's just Mike Judge. Like I think you either like Mike Judge or you don't. Yeah, but like, ex- exactly. That's what you know. Their humor is really you know it's obviously in the, the eye of the beholder, and yeah, it depends on so many different things. Like, what do you think of? It's kind of like in, um, in school. Like if if you liked the popular kid, the jock, whoever was you know the funny guy, like you thought he was so much funnier than he might have been, or if you thought he was a huge douche, you're like whatever, he's not that funny. Like, it's kind of, yeah. depending on what you think of someone. So, I mean, personally, I think Primus is really funny, and I think what separates them is 
the fact that they can back it up with really interesting, great music. The fact yeah. that they could do really interesting progressive ideas and, and on the, the flip side, just make great, great funky riffs. Yeah, which I, I, I don't think that Primus is weird for the sake of weird in a way. Like, yeah. if you look at, like, sort of the things that they talk about and sort of the imagery that they use, like, there is, like, an underlying logic to it. It's just it's very surreal and, like, you know, just bizarre. Um, you know, as opposed to, like, I think there are some bands out there, and, I mean, again, I will point to Butthole Surfers because I just, they're one band I just cannot get into for some reason. Mm-hmm. But I've just, like, I always felt, found them to be doing, like, that LOL random type of thing just for the hell of it. Same thing with um, Stormtroopers of Death. I don't know if you remember them. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, there, there's one Stormtroopers of Death song that's just, like, uh, like they're trying to play a, like a, play a track in the studio, and there's just, like, this noise that keeps coming through, and it's literally, like, that's the song. It's, like, them starting and stopping the song over and over again because there's some weird noise in the recording studio. And, that's like, pe- people think that that is one of the best thrash albums. And I'm like, since when? <laughs> But anyway, we, we, we will we'll probably talk about this in a couple weeks of uh, just comedy and music, uh, because I, I think it's a really interesting topic that deserves uh, like more more time. So uh, you ready to go to the next album? Yeah, I, I mean, listen to Primus. I mean, they're, they're yeah. one of my favorite bands. I, I don't Primus really know. So good. I don't really know how underrated they are. I mean, maybe nowadays they've been. I mean that's kind of the that's kind of the issue with late career comebacks is you know, is that you know you either die a hero or, or live long enough to become the villain. Um, and I, I, Dark Knight applies to everything. No, it's true. <laughs> you either come back with like this you know mind bending like oh my god like why did they ever leave or they're like yeah. oh god why did they ever come back. It, it, so. It's true. I I just can't think like. Uh, uh, do, okay, so this, this is this is a far-reaching pull, but uh, do you did you ever watch the '70s show back in the day? No, because uh, like they were obsessed with Smokey and the Bandit, and uh, like they were able to like always like whenever they were high, they would always like find some way to bring the philosophy of Smokey and the Bandit into whatever they were doing at the moment. <laughs> and I feel like the Dark Knight is like the Smokey and the Bandit of like our generation in a way. That just like, like th- th- that's just such a like. Th- there's so many great quotes from that movie. Like, yeah. You know the, um, you know some men just want to watch the world burn. That's a great. Yeah. You know stuff like. All that. right. You know, I I can make a pencil disappear. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um, speaking of wanting the the world to burn and a, a perfect soundtrack for that yes. happening, um, uh, suffocation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no breathing. Uh, don't give a fuck. Uh, oh there. wow! Fuck you, Scott. <laughs> hey Every, guys, g- g- guess what? This is the last episode. Yeah. Every <laughs> single time I bring up that band, Lauren makes that exact joke, and it's one of the reasons I love her. It's so funny. <laughs> and then, is, and is, then, it, is it because she's in the same room as you right now? Um, no, it's, it's <laughs> that's a genuine thing that I, <laughs> I, I I love I love her her dope Papa Roach references. Oh man, like yeah, but I mean Papa Roach is like you know. That's some quality shit right there, man. Like, oh, I, I mean that like literally, like it's it's high quality manure. So, um, <laughs> anyway, so suffocation, pierced from within. Their what? I think it's their third album, right? Um, 
I believe so. I think their their first demo. Uh, sorry, that this is so, so be, it's effigy. I, effigy of the Forgotten was their first, and then Breeding the Spawn, and yeah. then Pierce from within. So yeah, like they're, they're, like not not to be like that guy, but I, I think you definitely people should definitely listen to um, Human Waste, their first EP, because it they they don't like i think it's either this or effigy they don't like how the production turned out but i think it has some of the best production in their career it just fits the songwriting so well it has some of their best songs huh. but yeah by the time pearson with thing came out they you know human ways to come out great ep their debut actually forgotten breeding the spawn which gets overlooked but it's a really really great i think that's a really great uh album but then pierce from within man i i think this is at one point, I would I would have said Covenant was my favorite death metal album, but I think this one is easily my favorite death metal album. It just really it has everything I look for in a death metal album. You know, it, it's it's technical, it's fast, it's heavy. It just everything every adjective you use to describe death metal, what you like about it, is on this album. And I just yeah, it's just it's amazing. And for oddly enough, I don't think maybe it's just the groups and circles I run in, but I think suffocation is a little underrated. Oh yeah, no, no, in, in I would totally agree with that. Because like you know, there was a recent discussion. There's a group I'm in called I'm listening to death metal. Perfect name for the group. And a lot of the bands, you know, like what's the big four of death metal? Obviously, you have to have death. You have to have morbid angel. You have to have uh, cannibal corpse. And you do, know, do you have to have cannibal corpse though? They they were pretty influential. I think just because of their commercials. You definitely either you I, have to. You look, definitely I, have I, to. I, uh, it, 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 how much do you want to bet? I, I I bet you that if Cannibal Corpse wasn't in Ace Ventura, that nobody would remember them right now. I don't know. I, I don't know if nobody. I think they were established like, before I, that. I, I feel like they, they would be in Suffocation's place right now. Is what I'm saying. I, I think, or, if or not, like maybe even Deicide's place. I think if not for Ace Ventura and just how grotesque their um their, their cause, like like the, their peers around the time like even they didn't have uh like you know deicide had some growth you know some graphic art and whatever but no one really matched can i mean candle quartz you have you know eaten back to life butchered at birth like some of those covers even by today's yeah. standards is like dude like slow your roll like <laughs> calm down yeah, but, but it's funny we talk about that but then we look at the album cover for pierce from within which is like an amazing album cover yeah no i like, I, I yeah but yeah i, I think that it's because like the, the current um you know what the kids are listening to in terms of death metal is very much pulls on uh like bands influenced by obituary and early death and like that kind of um <laughs> the, those damn kids with their blood incantations and yeah. their ulcerates <laughs> but, but really like it, it's you know like blood incantation to mold like those kind of newer bands yeah. are influenced by like the og death metal sound and i think suffocation is hugely important you know i guess depending on your view of, of if deathcore was a good or bad innovation regardless they were i mean there are there are countless deathcore bands i mean even go back to despised icon which is you know really one of the forefathers of, of the genre as it was huge influence from suffocation they even influenced the you know new york hardcore scene they influenced you know slam and brutal death metal like they, they have a they have a huge imprint and while they laid the groundwork early in their career with their first two albums and their first EP. It really was with Pierce from Within where that came together, where you had the breakdowns and the early slams and the the blast beats really, you know, picking up tempo and obviously Frank with his 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 vocals, which I'm sure uh, continues to be a low point for you. 
Um, I I actually really like so I, I'll get to my thoughts in a second because I've actually never listened to this album. Oh, before, okay. So, uh, but I keep keep going. Yeah, I guess yeah. I, I mean there are so many ugh, there's so many tracks in this I love. I mean the the, the opening title track the the midsection where it's the start stop and then the blast beat and then it just stops and it's like. Tss, tss. We just saw it. like just that that breakdown is amazing. <laughs> uh, like every, I mean, I I love every every song on here. I could listen to this over and over and over again. Um, I mean, Suffocation is by far my favorite um, death metal band. With I guess Morbid Angel might be like one A, but I just this this is this is a lot means a lot to me in terms of my view of death metal because I. I these guys kind of bridged the gap. Like they had all the elements I loved about Deathcore, but they obviously did it better. And it took me a little while to appreciate it more because they, you know, the production was a little bit rougher. I wasn't used to it. Mm. They didn't have the more obvious breakdowns that you know newer bands have. But I, it, this is just such a great, oh, just a great amalgamation of everything I love about death metal. Uh, just, oh, I love this album. Yeah, and I'm, ho- I'm hoping you have you don't <laughs> you don't have two. Um, I'm actually I don't know I I really I feel like it could go either way. I'm really curious to hear what you think. Um, I I fucking love this thing. This thing was awesome to listen to. Um, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it, it was so because I think I remember I would listen to the iTunes previews of this way way back in the day. Um. If you want to take a stroll down memory lane with me, Scott, um, <laughs> you know we, we can we can hold hands and go down memory lane together. Um, <laughs> we, that sounds great uh, to me. Yeah, but so when I was uh, what I will call a poser, um, I, I thought that listening to the iTunes previews, the iTunes previews of a band's music, counted as being a fan of the band. Um, when I could have easily looked up a song on YouTube, or put any sort of effort into listening to them. <laughs> and so I remember I had Pierce from Within on my wish list for like a very long time. And I just, I, I remember just seeing the album cover and being like, oh yeah, I like that. But like, I never even saw like the album cover up close. Like it always looked like a textured type of like abstract album cover to me. So I, I never got to see like the full thing. And uh, now that I'm looking at it, like, I fucking love it. I, I love mm-hmm. the album cover. I love the music. It was a really great, thing to listen to um you know i the one thing that kept it didn't really nag me but i i just kept thinking about this the entire time was that like the line between brutal death metal and technical death metal is like really thin mm-hmm. like or at least on this album like it's, like it's just kind of strange like um like i, I wrote down in my notes it's, it's interesting to see that slam and tech death come from the same place pretty much yeah, like, which is just like I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me because I've always looked at slam and like brutal death metal as like kind of like meathead type of death metal. That's just like you know, it, it, it's kind of like um, it it, it it it's it's like the oh what's his fucking name the the dubstep dude um I can't remember Skrillex? his name now Skrillex yeah it, it 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 brutal death metal is like the Skrillex of like metal in a way that it's like kind of like dumbed down but then like. You know, if, if you look into, like, real dubstep, you know, like, um, uh, freaking Burial, you know, and stuff like that. 
like, you know, you, you realize, oh, this is what's going on, <laughs> you know? I So I just, like, I, I, I never felt like that they would come from the same place, but, I mean, I guess it's all death metal, so... <laughs> it's... Uh, who... You think Skrillex would appreciate that at several years down the line of his peak popularity, he would just be known as that depth, the dubstep dude. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing is no, like, like I, I knew like within seconds exactly what you were talking about. I know. So. Well, like it, it's, it, this was one of those cases that like I had it on the tip of my tongue and I just could not remember it. Like, um, though, to be fair, I, I would not listen to Skrillex of my own volition. Um, nothing against him i just, liked i liked him when i was in high school and that, that's yeah. kind of where it started and yeah and I, I i had a little dubstep phase in high school but i mean it was not very big yeah um, but, but yeah but you're, I, you're totally right i mean part of it is just because of um you know obviously music death, death metal has grown increasingly more technical and more brutal over time you know heavier over time and there's you know different reasons for that i think obviously production is a huge part of that um you know for better or worse you have people you know depending what you think about drum triggers and um you know the studio tricks they can do to you know vocals and guitar blah 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 but i think um another part of it is just natural i mean this is just like it's a genre with inherent competition, you know, everyone want, I mean, that that's how the mm-hmm. genre evolved in the first place. Everyone, you wanted to be faster. You wanted to be heavier. You wanted to be more brutal. You wanted to, um, you wanted to beat out people. And I feel like Pierce from Within is a very good line in the sand between the more brutal aspects of the genre and the more technical aspects of the genre. Because this certainly is not even as technical as, as other people who come before them. Um, yeah. But it, it really, it does do a great job of bringing those two elements of the of the the genre together. Though I, I think, you know, considering, so 1995, I don't even know if it was really at a point where, like, they were even making these distinctions. Yeah, uh, but, yeah, that that's another interesting thing, and then I'll, I'll like, is, is that, yeah. like, the way we're discussing music now, you know, they, they didn't have any you know, maybe very few of these terms to, they just, it just kind of was music. It's just like, Oh, like this is, you know, this is a great heavy album. I like it. You know, not like, Hey, I'm really, I want some slam or like, I want, I want to <laughs> listen to the latest brutal death metal album. Um, so I, yeah, it, it is one of those things. Uh, but I, I'll have to say, I, I, you know, regardless of my thoughts on brutal death metal or tech death, which I think is more influenced by like, sort of the way each of those genres present themselves more than anything. Um, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know, Slam and Brutal kind of has like this over-the-top kind of um, morbid hilarity to it. Yeah. Uh, whereas like technical death metal almost feels like it's trying to take itself a little too seriously at times. Yeah. Um, sometimes. I, I, I feel like that'd be maybe more prog. But um, anyway... Regardless of all that, this was a really fun album for me. I listened to this thing, uh, I think, twice this week, which is a lot for me. <laughs> just just considering that I usually only listen to an album a couple, like, just once, usually, uh, if we're prepping for an episode like this. Uh, but this was really fun. Uh, you know, if it wasn't so hard to get a copy of it, I would probably get one. But, <laughs> uh, well, it, it might be. I don't know. I have to look on Discogs at some point. Yeah, um, I'm just glad I have a really, really nice friend who, 
who yeah. pointed me in the right direction. Yeah, uh, right, right after she like totally fucked you over with all that rush, but <laughs> which like, we we will we will never let this go. No, but <laughs> this... but it's it's perfect that it's 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 so even now. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like it's it's. <laughs> I, I, I want that. I want that on my tombstone though. It's just like you know, <laughs> provided Scott with 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 suffocation, but not rush. <laughs> the the meme is complete. It's like a, it's a full circle meme. Yeah. Oh man! <laughs> oh my God! I'm trying to remember because um, I was watching that Rob Scallon video. The uh, what is like is Gent dead? I think, and like they he he was like, wait, wait, it's like, like is is this like a meme song or something like that? And he's like, it's 2013, Rob. It's all memes. There's <laughs> no difference anymore. Like, just like yeah. <laughs> oh okay. man. So. Um, yeah, listen to this album if you haven't, if you're interested in death metal, because this is, like, solid history right here. You know, it isn't one of those albums that, like, you know, has aged poorly, I think. I think it's, like, it's incredible, like, I think it's still relevant today. Yeah. And to go back to our very first thing that you were mentioning, um, I actually really loved Frank Mullen's vocals. Like, they, they take a really cool, um, sort of balance between you know just not, like they don't go to- totally like you know toilet bowl um you know but they, they they aren't like that normal like um sort of throaty growl either i i i, I like it so yeah and it's it's funny because um on suicide silence i believe it was their last album with mitch before he died um they had frank mullen feature and it was amazing at the time how many people were like, man, this guy's vocals suck. And like, they just told her, <laughs> which like, obviously you're allowed to, you're allowed I, to, to feel any sort of way about someone's vocals, but it just was disheartening. Like all the hot topic seeing kids being like, this guy's vocals suck. And it's like, I don't think Suicide Silence would be here if not for suffocation, but okay, that's fine. I mean, it doesn't matter because they both suck when it comes, you know, in comparison to Broken Side, which is, you know, just objectively the best band. Oh no! Um, oh no! We we both discovered the best band. Oh right, you know we... you you're totally right. What what was it? It was a vampire cunt or something. Was, 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 was that the name? Yeah, it was uh, vamp. Like I was just, yeah, v- I, vampire cunt. Yeah, I was looking through. Um, I think it was right. Your uh, no, it was uh, album of the year. Where I was looking for what new albums were coming out that week, and it was Wiganometry by Vampire Cunt, and it has a. a, a a white gangster as you would say yep. do, doing the gang signs with a machine gun with a, a classroom full of i assume his his fellow classmates his just, victims just shot up <laughs> and that is only beaten up by their previous album uh teenage slamming wigged turtles which has uh, evil teenage mutant ninja turtles killing a bunch of people and <laughs> it's it's amazing because people wonder why metal is not taken seriously in some circles you know, it's. It, I, can I be honest though? Like, I actually really like the album covers, like, like the the aesthetics of them, not necessarily the imagery. Like, I, I think that they're like really well designed. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, yeah. it's it's fun. I mean, what what makes it what kind of kills the joke is that, like, it's obviously it's it's not even good slam. Like, yeah. it's not even like they're they're not even doing the genre that they're you know because obviously I'm not the biggest slam fan, but you can tell when it's done well, and this is like really not. So but i i i mean i i think my um 
my, my text to you um, kind of covered this best. I think it's, what was it? Um, take hip-hop's braggadocio and mix it with slam and a little perversion and torture porn, and you've yeah. got these guys. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, nail on the head. Because we like with the, the gang signs, like I I swear that like that could just be another Broken Side album if you didn't know that it was a slam band. Yeah. Um, and, oh, all right. Man. So en- enough talking about this crap. Uh, let's, but, let's but, get to but, our. But oh, speak, okay. speaking speaking of bringing things full circle. Yes. Um, what's our final album, Malin? Uh Scott Walker's Tilt, good sir. Uh, yes. You know, which I started. Yes, I started this episode off uh, by quoting uh, Farmer in the City. Uh, which is the opening track to this album. Um, this is this is a difficult album even for me, actually, to listen to. Um, that isn't to say that I don't like it, because I do. It's just, it's like, for some reason, this Scott Walker album, out of all his other ones that I've listened to, is always, like, kind of, let, like, the toughest to sort of fully digest, if you will. Interesting. Um, I, it's just more because, like, I think... But by the time you get to the second side, like I, I, I've kind of like it's it's it, it's like it's like I've already run ten miles and I have to run run another twenty in a way, and I'm just kind of like exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't to say that the second side is bad by any means. I I just you know it's um what Scott Walker does here is uh you know like I think there's some variation. But oftentimes there's there's such a similarity between a lot of the tracks, and I think part of that it has to do with Scott Walker's vocal delivery here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that they can kind of run together sometimes, and it, it can be tough to sort of pay attention to exactly what's going on. Yeah, I feel like this was him kind of. Uh, I haven't spent a lot of time with Climate of the Hunter, but... That, Climate of the Hunter is a good album. It's but, good, but I, yeah, I feel like this and Tilt... And I, I still really like Tilt, but you're totally right. I think this was him trying to figure out what his post-Walker Brothers and his like post-country pop you know, excursion, yeah. what he wanted to do. And I think really, definitely on Drift, and especially on Bish Bosh, is where he started to come into his own. And yeah. Unfortunately... We never got that. I think yeah, he released the the soundtrack for the movie with Robert Pattinson, but then he didn't. Release uh, a... what was that with Robert Pattinson? Uh, uh, Childhood I, of a Leader. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think he Robert Pattinson contributed to the album, but he was in the movie that this. Oh, you're thinking? Was for. Are you thinking of Vox Lust? Vox Lux, or yeah, like, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure was... Pattinson was in the movie. I, yeah, I, I don't think he. Uh, it, I was thinking of Childhood of a Leader. I totally forgot about Vox Lust, Vox Lux, whatever. Um, oh, you did, you did another one? Walker? Yeah. So, uh, the oh, uh, Childhood of a Leader came out two years before Vox Lux. Um, oh, it was more of like yeah, a that, that traditional started, string yeah. thing. That's a, oh. Vox Lux had, like, it was, she, he was working with, with uh, Sia, or whatever her name is. The, 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 the most famous haircut in pop music. Oh, okay. Um, yep. This yeah. is ringing a bell now. Yeah. Also, but... I, I kind of hope that eventually the musician Scott Walker, um, his SEO overtakes the politician Scott Walker. <laughs> I, just, I Googled Scott Walker and I was like, oh, yeah, that asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that that depends on a lot of things. Uh, yeah, well. Mostly it's people's importance on politics, but. Yeah. You know, oh, um, but, but but also I forgot. Fuck, soused. 
Seuss? Soust? Soust? Yeah. Whatever. Seuss is a great album. It is. It, it's... Yeah. Um, I feel like this is... <laughs> this is the... Um, this is like the, the more, beginning of all that madness. But it's the um, the more palatable, like accepted version of what um, Metallica and Lou Reed were trying to do. Like kind of way. actually, like, I, I don't mean in terms of the music, but in terms of like two artists you'd never thought would collaborate. Well, but I guess this definitely makes more sense than Lou Reed yeah, and Metallica. Cause, cause here's the thing: is like Metallica never like went in an avant-garde direction before. Whereas, like, Sun was always kind of, like, fiddling with, with the avant-garde. You know, because, like, in a sense, they are an avant-garde band. Yeah. I'm thinking of, like, um, so many, me- like, meme of, like, Mom, can I have Seuss? Like, we have Seuss at home, and then it's just Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Somebody needs to make that. Like, there's so, so many memes of, like, like you, you versus the guy she told you not to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, oh, my oh, God. Poor one yeah. for, poor one um, for Lou Reed let's talk about tilt though because they there's some stuff i actually do want to talk about just with the details in terms of this because um yeah. you know this so climate hunter came out in 1984 and then 11 years later this thing came out in 1995 mm-hmm. and it's just like i mean first off you you get an early instance of scott walker taking an entire fucking decade to make an album yes um but just i think it's interesting to see how this album was received and sort of how it's grown in reception because um if you've ever watched the scott walker documentary which i think it's it's called like 30 31 century man or something like that mm-hmm. um they actually interview a bunch of people about tilt and like some people really didn't like this album and i, I just find that really bizarre especially like since like he's really not doing that much different like stuff from what he was doing on climate of the hunter in a way yeah and i mean um, obviously they, they couldn't know this at the time but he this is not even close to like his experiment oh, yeah. all as he gets oh my gosh his, B- you know. B- bishbosh is is the peak of that yeah abs- I would absolutely yeah it's, in a way it's kind of fitting that that was his you know his swan song because it really it felt i mean who knows if he could have gotten any higher but you're, you're totally right and actually that was something i um I thought about I mean, this is kind of a tangent in a way, but I always typecast this album as entirely melodic, just because of the first. Because obviously the, the the opening track is mm. is easily the most memorable, but you know the rest of the album has is is pretty dark. It's pretty meandering. It doesn't really have that the same melodic hook that that track has. So I think I, yeah, I unfairly typecast it as like oh like that's his melodic album. And then he gets I, I mean, it kind of is. Yeah. In a way, like I'm thinking of, I think is it is it Patriot that has like that weird uh, slide flute line. I, I yeah. think th- I think I think that's a slide flute. I I don't know what that instrument is, but you bum 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 bum, just like playing randomly. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you know, if you, it, the last track of this thing, Rosary, has him on acoustic guitar mm-hmm. too. So it's not, you know, th- th- there's definitely. So I I think it's just more like he's, it almost feels like he's playing with sort of the instrumentation that he's had before in his career and just sort of utilizing it in different ways. Whereas like with, with the drift and uh, with uh, Bish Bosh, he's just going all out and just being like, fuck it. Somebody get a side of beef and just hit that, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, like, but I, I, there's one thing I really want to talk about here. Um, and because it was something I noticed when listening to uh, Farmer in the City again, 
was sort of atmosphere. Like, yes, you know, you can say a lot of things about Scott Walker's music, but the one thing that pervades over everything is that he's able to create just meticulously too, just this atmosphere of just, you know, whatever he's singing about at the moment. Uh, which, you know, Farmer of the City is about uh, the death of uh, film director Pierre Pasolini, um, who was apparently, like, hit by... A, uh, so, he was hit by a car, but I think it was driven by, like, his... Uh, like, a prostitute he had hired, I think. Interesting. Um, yeah, it was, like, a whole thing. Um, oh, maybe not. I don't know. The, 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 there's a lot of weird stuff that's going on. Oh, yeah, so, so yeah. Pasolini was murdered on November 2nd, 1975. He had been run over several times by his own car, um, among among other things. And that uh, this, so Giuseppe Pelosi, uh, 17 years old, was uh, caught driving the car and confessed to the murder. Uh, and I think he was, I, I, like, because if you listen to the lyrics in it, uh, in the song, he says, like, you know, go buy a man. And things like that, because um, I I think Pasolini was I mean Pasolini was openly gay, but mm-hmm. you know I think he was he was utilizing some sex workers, all that all that great stuff, all that jazz, um, yeah, all that jazz, if you will, <laughs> not not jizz, jazz. <laughs> Ooh, whoops, yeah, that's um, <laughs> yep. up there. Yep, uh, <laughs> the, the, it it would be a Freudian slip if I didn't completely intend it. Um. Yeah, when you say one thing and you mean your mother. Yeah. <laughs> real real nice. quick tangent. We were at the the coffee shop at school, and one of my friends, uh, he found out a girl was a psychology major, and then later he made that joke, and she was like, "I don't get it." And he was he was, he was devastated. He's like, "Oh, okay, that's great." Yeah, like n- never mind. Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> but my my favorite, um, Lauren, you know, in her infinite wisdom and creativity, um, <laughs> she said, "It sounds like." He's on like a you know a pitch black stage, just like singing these by himself, and then he's surrounded by interpretive dancers dressed in all black with like white gloves. Oh, it totally doing, is. And like I can't, and, and honestly, I she probably was trying to make fun of the music, but like that that really enhances it for me. Just picturing this as like the soundtrack to a really bizarre okay. avant garde theater, like avant garde musical. Like it really, it's just really. It's it's very fitting though. Yeah, exactly. Like, like it, it, it just makes so much sense. It's funny when you bring that up. The first image that comes to my head is this. Um, there's this Christmas episode of South Park where they uh they're trying to make an inoffensive holiday uh special basically. So like so so no particular religious group is offended. So so they get <laughs> Philip Glass to 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 compose the entire thing, and it's like this, like they're all dressed up in like you know like the black suits and everything, and oh, it's like this man. pretentious interpretive dance. It's the funniest thing, um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah. But like, I, but you, I think Lawrence Lawrence's description brings up a point though that is again very much atmospheric, like even even when it makes zero sense like the cockfighter like you know that, that that's probably the weirdest song on this thing which is saying a lot of just like having that industrial beat and then just having like you know his vocals like kind of like having that slap back delay on mm. it it's really weird um you know it, but but like every every song is just very dedicated to what he's talking about even though 
it can be very tough to understand what he's talking about sometimes because he is he is quite possibly like the most like esoteric lyricist I've ever come across. Yeah. Um, like it, like it's him and Cedric Bixler, like Zavalia from, uh, you know, at the drive in Mars Volta. Like both of them are probably the most bizarre I've come across. Yeah, for uh, sure. Cause like, like, you know, if you listen to Seuss, uh, the opening track of that is Brando and it's all about, uh, Marlon Brando's like sadomasochistic tendencies. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just like, yeah, of course, Scott Walker, of, of course, that's a song that you would write. <laughs> yeah, the, the, that's a perfectly normal thing to write a song about. Yeah. Uh, well, just I but at the same time, it works like he just, you know, he, he has a way of of composing that goes beyond, you know, simply just putting some notes down and sort of, um, you know, trying to make a melody like he's. Like I, I, I almost feel like this is like sort of the epitome of like performance music in a way. Mm-hmm. Just in the way that he's just able to get, you know, this stuff down and it just gives such an air to what like he's saying. But, you know, maybe uh, there are better examples later in his career, like um, the track Jesse um, off, of off, off of the Drift. Where mm-hmm. it's it's all about uh, Elvis Presley's uh, stillborn twin brother, which is a real thing, by the way, uh, Jesse. Um, yeah, so <laughs> just little, little things. Interesting. <laughs> little, yeah, um, yeah. I I don't know really what else to say. I I like because this was just such an interesting album for its time, and I think you know it it hasn't aged a day in a way because it's just like. It feels like it's it's outside of time and space, in a way. Yeah, and it's you know I know um, it's always cliche to be like oh like it defies ex- you know explanation or like defies description. It's so like but really like this is such a he's such an interesting singular artist. Like I don't think there's anyone truly like him, and it, it, oh, it's, yeah. it's hard to it's hard to fully capture what he does unless you hear it you know i i really I, i'm struggling to think of anyone who does you know quite what he does you know not only just the combination of the specific avant-garde you know textures that he uses but just combined with his his hauntingly beautiful and and unique voice um yeah and talk about a, a second act like i think this is the this is the good um like like you know live long enough yeah, or whatever, whatever version of that quote makes sense. But yeah. the fact that he came back and really had such a such a second act, like such a renaissance, you know, obviously a completely different end of the spectrum. He went from like a, a British teen heartthrob pop star to you know one of the most celebrated artists in the underground. Yeah, um, it's inter- His his career has always been interesting, just because, mm-hmm. like, I mean. If you think that, like, they compared him to the Beatles at one point, like, they, they thought that the Walker Brothers were going to be, like, the next Beatles. Like, it, he was, like, just that big at the time. Um, but, like the Beatles, he went in just an increasingly avant-garde trajectory, uh, you know, until, you know, he finally passed away. Which is just, it's, it's kind of weird, just the similarities. Like, it almost makes you, makes you wonder, like, what like John Lennon would have been up to mm-hmm. if he had lived as long as Scott Walker. Um, That's a good point. 
Uh, yeah. Because he was, he was really, he was pretty He was young. getting into some weird shit, man. But like, but he was only in what, like his 30s, Lennon? Or maybe early, uh, like he definitely had a lot more time to produce He was music. 40 when he, when he was killed. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, for sure, he definitely, um, and maybe he would have, Maybe would have released some more collaborations with Yoko Ono that would have uh, been maybe super... been good. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. Um, yeah, um. <laughs> I will still always remember when uh, Lauren and I went to MoMA in in New York, and one of like the artist in residence was Yoko Ono, and this is some of the weirdest, most like unsettling art. Uh, I don't I don't know if all of it was very good, but yeah, it was very interesting. Like performance art and like conceptual art has has never been something I've I've been too big of a fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just because it it just seems like it's it cares more about the philosophy and like sort of the meaning as opposed to the way they're trying to, do, which I think is the kind of the heart of artistic expression is not what you're saying, but how you're saying it. Yeah, and um, and so I think what bothers me more, I mean, I I agree with that, but also, um, like I, I like art that is unique and um, is is nice to look at in and of itself, but also might you know might have some deeper things to unpack or might not. And I feel yeah. like like a lot of stuff that Yoko Ono and related artists do, um, like it was definitely interesting. Like there was one where it was like a person in a black bag just like contorting around and it looked like this weird like black shape trying to pierce out and it, it was it was interesting but also like it wasn't really fun to look at actually it was kind of unsettling to to watch yeah so like it like it served more as like an intellectual exercise than like an actually enjoyable piece of art and that doesn't mean it has to be beautiful like i, I love picasso and, and pollock and stuff and you, you could you know paintings like guernica yeah, yeah guernica's fucked up man yeah like it's so. that's not beautiful to look at but it's intriguing to look at it's, it's, it's beautiful in a way yeah exactly it's not yeah. like you know it's not like a, a monet or a, or a, you know one of those traditional paintings but it's something you can just enjoy even if you don't know what it's about um yeah um anyway so but, 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 I, 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 mean, I feel like the, i feel like this, this kind of reaches around to scott walker because he's you know I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that's going on in his music that's sort of relegated to like almost like the unconscious of mm-hmm. like the listener and sort of like it's, it's it's almost like he's thinking about some stuff while he's doing this mm-hmm. uh and you don't get to hear it like hear those exact thoughts but you get to hear the results of those thoughts mm-hmm. yeah um, i mean i think that almost is a great you know what we were talking about is that what i, I was just talking about is that you, you can just listen to this and be super intrigued um by what he's doing and that that's true of, of all his albums but there's definitely more yeah. like i remember the first time i, I picked out the the lyric booklet booklet for Bish Bosh, and I was like, <laughs> I don't, I don't fucking get it. <laughs> like this is all, like, yeah, this is all over my head. But I just, I enjoy what I was hearing, and it's the same with Tilt, it's the same with the Drift. I still, I still love that I found. Uh, it wasn't brand new, but it was a, a as close to mint as you can get copy in when I was visiting my friends in Portland at Bull Moose for ten bucks of the yeah, drift. like, v- like a, vinyl, a vinyl copy of the Drift in like amazing condition. Wait, what, um, was it the Drift or Bish Bosh? It was the drift. I, I found I, I found a relatively affordable copy of Bishbosh. Yeah, I I just know because I I you gave me your copy of Bishbosh, and CD, I'm internally yeah. thankful. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I um, 
I often like to keep consistent with you know like if I have an artist discography on CD, I'll just buy buy it on CD and same with vinyl. So yeah, when, when I bought, I found the drift and then found tilt not not too long after. I was like, okay, well, might as well get <laughs> might as well get Bishbosh on vinyl too. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he's a super super interesting artist and just like the trajectory of his career is fascinating. So if you haven't listened to um, if you haven't Scott listened to Walker. any of his material, yeah. then you know absolutely check him out. I, I don't know if Tilt would be the first place to go though. Um, I, I would personally go for the Drift, but that's just me. Is, is it Drift or the Drift? <laughs> uh, I forget honestly. Yeah, um, let, let's see. It is, it is the Drift. So, but also if you really want to ease into it, um, any of the Scott albums, you know Scott one through four. Uh, obviously, they're not nearly as interesting and experimental as his later work, but yeah, um, they're 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 perfectly nice chamber. I I I they, they have I honestly all... was not a big fan. Like I, I listened to Scott three, and I was not a big fan of it. They happen to all be a Newbury Comics at once, so I was like, all right, fuck it, I'll just buy them. Uh, they're they're good. I mean, they're good for what they are. They're not. I think you know, if not for coming into his discography because of how great his later career was, I don't think I would have given them... Like, I'm pretty sure I, you could get a similar thing from any number of his contemporaries. Uh, but I think it's just because of the name that it's it's taken on a little bit more weight. But just yeah. just, just to like hear his voice and to hear some mildly adventurous chamber pop, you know, if you're not ready for the full-on interpretive dance music, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, 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 a good, it's a good gateway. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about albums of the week because we're a little over time. So, um, Scoots, what's your album of the week? Yeah, and this is a great example of of why I love Bandcamp Daily so much is because they they are really really great curators. Um, you know, the only critique I would give of their they have a weekly radio show I stopped listening to only because they. They definitely curate in a very niche bubble, like kind of contemporary jazz and electronic music, a little bit softer stuff. But when they when they hit on something, it's it's just it's great. And this caught my eye because the cover art, and I'll send you a link because it's really really, I think it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of gave me like Doctor Manhattan vibes from Watchmen, and okay, <laughs> I, and then it was described as like a weird, uh, like chopped and screwed plunder phonics lo-fi hip hop. And I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. And this album is it's easily become one of my favorites of the year. It is uh, Opal Wand by Black Taffy. Um, okay. It's, I think what I love about it so much, after listening to it a number of times through, it's an instrumental hip-hop album that takes everything you love about instrumental hip-hop and combines it with the kind of the traditional production approach of regular hip-hop. Because I think one of the problems with beat tapes is they're cool, but none of the beats ha- really have like substance because they're they're usually yeah. really short. They're just kind of ideas. This one, he man, he he does such a great job of of writing of taking like the what you love about um, the laid back, the you know, there's no vocals. You could just vibe with the beats, but they're so textured and they feel like it would be difficult for someone to rap over. Like, they're supposed to be instrumentals. Like, they're so perfectly constructed. He uses a lot of samples from 
you know, classically, this has like classical music instrumentation, some maybe like Asian instrumentation. And there's a kind of a, a string of, or a theme of melancholy throughout. Like it's, it's or like bittersweet. Like it, it's beautiful, but sad. And it just, it's, it's just really, really layered and, and man, big fan. That sounds really cool. I yeah. actually really want to listen to this now. So does it have like a vocal samples at all in it or is it just purely um, instrumental? Yeah. Here and there, there are some, I mean, they're not presented in a way where, you know, you kind of can grab onto the lyrics, but yeah, I think there are a couple spots where it sounds like he took some, he took some vocal samples from somewhere. So I'm looking at the album cover now. Uh, it kind of looks like, um, it's like Dr. Manhattan mixed with, uh, the guy, the rush guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. I could totally yeah. see that. That's funny. <laughs> Which is awesome. Two two awesome things. Uh, okay, so I've actually had a tough time trying to figure out my album of the week, uh, but I just looked at my journal where I keep sort of where I record everything, uh, and I'm just gonna go kind of an easy one. But um, so this is uh, John Zorn's fiftieth uh, birthday celebration, but it's the fourth volume of it where he plays a uh, electric masada. Um, because I, I had this on this week, like I, I tend to um I'll when I'm when I'm writing in the morning, I'll put on an album, um uh, and I just I have a blind like I, I pick them all out on like Saturday night and then listen to them out like once once a day throughout the week, um and so I had this on earlier this week and Electric Masada has always been sort of a difficult pill to swallow for me when it comes to John Zorn's music, um. Just because I think that there are times it feels, um, I think sometimes it feels a little too close to what he's doing with other Masada projects, and sometimes it feels a little repetitive. Um, but for some reason, th- this time really got to me. Like this, this listen really, really got me listening to it and just really thinking about it more. And it was just a, it, it's a great little album, you know. It has a lot of like, you know, I, I think he plays like a lot of you know regular masada tunes in it but they're all through like this fusion lens so you have like mark rebo on guitar and they also have Iku and mari just like just dishing out all these really strange samples throughout this entire thing and it works like it works really well in ways you wouldn't expect um so i'm gonna just count that so (laughs) yeah uh maybe a little normie for me but uh like i said had kind of a tough time trying to figure it out this week so <laughs> hey no worries yeah no worries at all i actually put on um can i bar Koba, right bar Kokba? yeah Kokba, thank you I, yeah. I just i knew i was gonna uh, i put on the 50th birthday i think the I oh got the, the, the the three disc one yeah i put on the first disc the other day just because i wanted some that kind of um that kind of instrumental yeah, or a worldy a vibe, and he's just he's such a good songwriter. Yeah, like, I just I, I love obviously you know the the instrumentalists bring it to life, but it was just so interesting. Um, but my my only complaint with that particular album is just that it's three discs. Like I don't know if it needs oh, to be yeah. three discs. Like, I, but... I, I I honestly, you know, I listened to the first disc and I was like, eh. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think I I got what I need to get. Yeah, this. see, I I, so, always, I never feel right if I don't listen to all three discs. So, yeah, like it's it's sort of like um, like listening to uh, the epic. Like I, the like, 
I, I, I need to listen to all three discs of the Epic. Maybe not all at the same, like, maybe not, con- like, uh, consecutively. But, like, I need to have it within, like, a day's listen to count it for me. <laughs> I can see that. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't follow through, but I, I can I can appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, um, all right. Well, we are going way over time. So, uh, thanks for listening. And we will be back next week. So, all thank right. you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, if you're interested, uh, you know, if you want to hear more, just, you know, listen to us on uh, iTunes, Pod, Apple Podcasts, Android Podcasts, anywhere you can get a podcast, basically. Uh, we're on all of it. Uh, if you follow us on Anchor, too, you know, whatever works for you. And uh, definitely be sure to follow us on Twitter. And if you ever have any suggestions, topics you want us to talk about or questions, anything like that. Uh, be sure to email us. Yeah, uh, we're at, at Seishira Podcast on Twitter, and our email, I think, is Seishira Podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, as always, thanks for listening. Yeah, appreciate it a lot. Bye.